reading of the word. Today's scripture comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 16. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. This is the word of God for a people to God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Jim. Well, it's great to be uh, worshiping with you again today. I had a great uh, vacation the previous week and came back on Tuesday rested and raring to go for the new year. Uh, and I want you to know next Sunday we're starting a four-Sunday series called Walk in God's Wisdom. And we're going to be looking at the life of King Solomon plus some other scriptures about godly wisdom and I want you to know, I, I consider this really important teaching, and I'm, I'm excited to share it with you. Uh, let's pray. Oh, God, um, yeah, our Father in heaven, we are eager to join you in this year 2022. Lord, we want to be a part of your plans. We want to engage in your kingdom. Lord Jesus, you have called us to be salt of the earth and light of the world and with your help, that's exactly what we intend to be. So give us courage to step out and to keep growing and becoming deep, daring, daily disciples. Holy Spirit, speak to us now according to your word. Awaken our hearts and our minds to the scriptures. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today's message is kind of a personal one for me, why I still believe in Jesus. And I hope it's personal for you as well. Uh, if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or if you are investigating that, maybe as a possibility, I hope today that you'll gain some clarity on what you believe and why. So let's open our Bibles to uh, the le first letter of Peter, chapter 3, starting with verse 13. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll see it on page 1222. Here, Peter's telling Jesus' people how to respond to threats and unfair treatment. How do, what do we do? And first, he says that if you don't cause trouble, you won't have as much trouble. You, you want to tell that to your kids, don't you? <laughs> right? If you don't cause trouble, you won't have as much trouble. Verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? You're not going to get in much trouble with the teacher if you're trying to do the right thing. You know, keep your nose clean. Don't do stupid stuff. Life tends to work out better that way. But it's not the whole story, is it? Sometimes we suffer for being faithful to God. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Jesus said the same thing. If you are mistreated for belonging and believing in Jesus, that, that there is going to be a blessing in it that comes to you. And then Peter quotes the prophet Isaiah, do not fear their threats, 
Do not be frightened. Yes, people are going to do bad things. They're going to threaten you, but stand firm. Stand firm. Don't let them intimidate you. Don't put them in control. Verse 15 starts out, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. If Jesus is your Lord, then he's in charge of your life. That's what Lord means. And the people that are trying to do bad to you, they're not in charge of your life. And then the rest of verse 15 gives us the real meat of today's message. Here's how it starts out. Always be prepared to give an answer. And the Greek word translated answer is apologia. And it doesn't mean apology, although that's the root of our word apology, but it's often translated as defense. Sometimes it's uh, used in, in situations where people are going to trial and they're in court, and when you stand and you present your defense, that's your apologia. Now, some of the sisters and brothers that, that Peter's writing to probably have already been brought to court, and some of them will be. Explain, they have to explain uh, why they are no longer going to the imperial temple to worship Caesar. Peter tells them, have your answer ready. You know, you could stand up and, and tell them the, the truth and, and, and let, give yourself a defense of what you believe. You know, there's a whole segment of Christian ministry, and I, I use uh, portions of it in my messages from time to time. There's a whole segment of Christian ministry called apologetics, which comes from this root word, apologia, and apologetics Uh, means presenting a defense of the faith. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer, a defense, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I remember a discussion in my contemporary theology class way back when I was a senior at Nebraska Wesleyan, and, and one of my classmates, I remember her blurting out, that it's, it's Christianity, that, Christianity that has effed up the world. Well, today a lot of people think that way. They, they, they say that Christianity is dangerous. It, it champions outdated values about family and monogamy and sexuality and government and, and war and science and, and history and human rights and so on and on. They say the world will only be free when it shakes off these stupid superstitions. Try saying that three times fast, stupid superstitions. Remember John Lennon's song? Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It's not hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. No religion, too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. He goes on, he says, you you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Now, I agree with John Lennon about his dream. People living life in peace. The world will be as one. But you see, Here's where we're different. I see Jesus as the answer, not the problem. 
So today I prepared an apologia, a defense. Five things that I want to share with you about what I believe and why. And one reason I still believe in Jesus is that he is changing me for the better. I think, what, what would I be? Where would I be without him? Because of Jesus, I'm, I, I can tell you for sure that, I, that I'm happier, I am more at peace, my life has purpose, I'm more focused on, on important things and not trivial stuff. He motivates me to, to serve my community. He, he gives me a reason to care for creation. Uh, when I was in high school, I, I went through a year of doubting and searching and questioning everything, and at the end of the year, I felt drawn to know Jesus the same way others talked about knowing him. And so I finally gave in and gave my life to him, and and I can tell you that there was a moment where I felt something powerful stirring inside me. And, and I look back now, I didn't know what to call it then, but I look back now and I go, that's what the Bible talks about, is rebirth. And I was filled with the Spirit. And I had that, that fresh start in life. Now, one thing that I didn't expect on this journey with, with walking with Jesus is that the Holy Spirit would sometimes communicate with me personally. And, and I find that it happens in different ways. Uh, now, I have never heard an audible voice from God. I've, I've only known maybe one or two people that have, and I wasn't sure if they really got it right. <laughs> but, but maybe a dozen times or so in my life, uh, I can say that my mind was interrupted with specific words addressed to me. And every time that it happened, it came as a surprise. I wasn't looking for it at all. Sometimes I even argued with it. <laughs> the most recent one, though, uh, I've shared before with you, and it has something to do with this church. Uh, a couple years ago, I, I, I woke up in the night, and couldn't go back to sleep right away, so I decided I'm going to sit up in bed and pray for a while. And after probably about 20 minutes or so, you know, I found myself more relaxed, feeling like, oh, I think I could sleep now. And just as I was laying my head on the pillow, some words came into my mind that did not seem to be for me. They seemed to be addressed to me. Do not fear. Proclaim the word boldly. I am at work in the world and in this church and in you. You know, that happened not long before the pandemic started. And I wonder if God was preparing me. I've reminded myself of that many times. And uh, now you could argue, you could say, well, Steve, that was just your subconscious speaking and I couldn't, I couldn't say otherwise, but to me, I believe it was more than that. Now, most of the communications, though, that I've received from the Spirit are not, ex not like that. They're not with specific words. They're more like impressions, ideas that come to me, and then they don't go away. They kind of keep coming back and bothering me, and sometimes I wonder, okay, God, is that you? 
Um, you know, I know a lot, not long ago we gave some money to someone just kind of based on that kind of impression. Like, maybe we should do this. Okay, let's do it. One of the first times that happened to me, I was a young pastor when I got an impression kind of message. And I remember, and I've, I've told this story to some of you in Faith Walk. Sometimes I share it there, and I've told it before here in worship. But, hey, it's, it's, a good, it's always worth telling again, right? Anyway, I walked into this hospital room where this white-haired lady was in bed with the sheet pulled up to her chin. So all you could just see was the, her face. And uh, anyway, I introduced myself. I hadn't met her before. And she told me that she was freezing. But the hospital staff was not allowed to put blankets on her because for fear that her fever would spike. And I just, I, I felt so sorry for her. My heart just went out to her. And, I, and a thought came to me that it would be a good idea to kiss her on the forehead. Fortunately, I was able to dismiss that thought. But the thought came back. And I could imagine myself kissing her on the forehead, but I reminded myself that I had taken the class in seminary on hospital visitation, and we did not do that. Now, of course, if I had decided to act on it, I would have asked her permission, but even then, I felt squeamish. I just, I'm just not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. And after a while, we kept talking, and I kid you not, I could not quit staring at this lady's forehead. I mean, like I had a neon flashing light, pew, 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 you know, I couldn't, getting my attention. Now, there's an old, uh, there's an old joke from seminary days. Um, what do pastors do when they get uncomfortable? What do they say? Let us pray. <laughs> and so I was kind of about time for me to say, Let, uh, so I, let's pray. And so I, I but I, my heart really went out to her and I prayed for her with compassion, that she would find God's healing and hope and strength. And, and when I gave the, uh, the amen, I opened my eyes and I looked toward the door, signaling my intent that I'm going to leave. And then she opened her eyes and she looked up at me and she said, would you kiss my forehead? I said, I'd be glad to. <laughs> and then I walked out of, of a room and into the hospital hallway, and my face was just, I'm, I could feel the heat coming off of it. It was so flushed, and, and I thought, what just happened here? God, was that you? And I realized that maybe I needed to start paying attention to some of these impressions that I get. Because some of them might be from the Holy Spirit. Now, will all of my impressions be from God? No. So I'm going to have to learn to discern what's from the Spirit and what is not. But if I don't start paying attention, I'm going to miss all of them. You know, at this way, I'm probably going to get it right, you know, maybe a good bit of the time, but not always. But if I don't pay attention to any of them, I'm going to get them all wrong. Now, some of the things that I've had to work on in, in my faith um, have been on the academic side of things. And uh, here's one of the conclusions that I reached. It's part of my apologia. 
Here it is. A creator best explains to me the existence of the universe. Having a creator. Now, some people believe the universe could be explained without a God, uh, and I, I totally get that. Maybe some of you here today would, would believe that. Um, a century ago or so, uh, many scientists, you know, in their explanation of the universe was that it was the, what they called the steady state theory of the universe, that it's always been here. All the planets and the stars and the moons and the comets and it's just always, the, the galaxies, they've just always been here. And then astronomers discovered something very interesting, that the universe is expanding. Well, the laws of physics would, would tell us that if it's expanding, what is it expanding from? It's expanding from a single point in an explosive event called the Big Bang. So we have to ask, well, if that's true, what caused the Big Bang? Scientifically, we don't know. Uh, so we still have to ask, uh, what caused, and if we, do, if we do come up for an answer of the, of the Big Bang, if science does, then we have to say, well, what caused that? And then, and then what caused that? And eventually we have to ask, was there a, an original cause that was not caused by something else previously? Now, I know this all sounds philosophical, and it is, but I think it's also an important question. Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century asked, was there an uncaused cause? Could there be an intelligent eternal being who's the original cause of everything? Now, I agree with Aquinas who said, yes, there must have been an eternal God, the uncaused cause who created everything. How else do we explain that there is something rather than nothing? Now, for those who are not convinced that um, a creator best explains the universe, uh, I think it's often because they would assume that, that a God-created world would be different than this world, the one we, we live in. I, there's some good objections here. In a God-created world, wouldn't God be more obvious? You know, get a miracle every time you need it. And wouldn't there be, wouldn't there be less suffering and pain and injustice in the world if God created it? I want to tell you, I take these, I take these objections seriously. But I cannot assume to tell God what kind of world he should or should not have made. And if my objection to believing in God is because of all of the unjust, thing, unjust things that happen in the world, well, then I have to ask myself, where did I get this idea of justice? Maybe even my longing, my desire for justice is a clue to the existence of God. Here's another academic conclusion that I've reached. Um, personally, I do not find creation and evolution incompatible. 
Now, I didn't always believe that. As a young Bible believer, I, I assumed for a long time that creation and evolution were arch enemies, never to be reconciled. About 25 years ago, I committed myself to doing some serious reading on, this, on the subject, and I found that the scientific evidence for evolution is sound. And it's not just based on fossils and anatomy. Uh, today, the most compelling evidence for evolution is genetic, uh, with related species and the sharing of DNA and that kind of thing. And I also had to rethink Genesis chapter 1 and how I read it. Uh, and, I, and I've come to the uh, conclusion that it's meant to be read theologically and not scientifically. It was not written by a scientist, and it was not written for scientists. Genesis 1 was written in a poetic-like genre to tell us the universe is God's creation. It wasn't written as a science report on how it happened. Now, as a preacher, I want everybody, I want everybody to believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you want to believe that, that the way God did this was to develop various forms of life through evolution or not, that God just sort of banged it in six 24-hour days, however you want to believe it, that's up to you. I'm fine with it. Personally, I don't necessarily find them incompatible. Over the last decade, I've become a fan of Dr. Francis Collins. You know that name? He was the director of the Human Genome Project, recently retired as the director of the National Institutes of Health, so you saw him on TV and, and stuff um, quite a bit during the pandemic. Now, when, when Francis Collins was a young doctor, he was an atheist, and then he became a devoted Christian, follower of Jesus. And in 2009, he founded an organization called BioLogos, bringing together uh, rigorous science, biblical faith, and gracious dialogue. Isn't that a great goal? If you're interested, I invite you to look up biologos.org. Don't look up biologos.com because I think that's some cleaning supply company or something, but biologos.org. And also, they've got a bunch of really good video lectures and also um, graphic uh, animated videos as well on YouTube that are worth watching. Now, another subject that I've had to think through is what is our relationship to the Bible? And uh, here's what I've concluded. Read from the perspective of Jesus' people, the Bible is my authority on matters of faith and practice. Now, faith and practice, what do I mean? Uh, faith and practice is, is what I believe and how I behave. Okay? The Methodist doctrine of Scripture says that we believe the Bible as the only and sufficient rule of faith and practice. Sometimes people ask me, if I take the Bible literally. And what I finally decided is that that's not a good question, usually, not a helpful question. People tend to use the word literal in all kinds of unliteral ways. Have you noticed that? You know, somebody's really shocked and surprised. They say, wow, my, my, my head literally exploded. Well, that's not what they mean. 
They mean my head exploded in a figurative sense. And uh, they don't have their brains scattered all over the room. Words can have literal and figurative meanings. The better question, I find, is do I read the Bible authoritatively? And if so, how do I do that? When Jesus says to pray for those who persecute us, this is not metaphor. I take it literally, but more important, I take it authoritatively. Now, this person hurt me, put me down, lied about me, but rather than try to get even against them, I obey Jesus, I pray for them, and I leave the justice up to God. Why? Because what the Bible teaches is my authority for faith and practice. Now, often Jesus did not use literal language. We know that. Talked in parables. For example, uh, when he talked about being generous, he said, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He's using metaphor. Because your right hand and your left hand do not literally know anything. Right? He was using a figure of speech to tell us not to announce our generosity to the world. So I read it figuratively, but authoritatively. Don't brag about being generous, because if I brag about it, I'm just paying for recognition <laughs> and not truly being generous. And because I read from the perspective of a Jesus follower, I have a distinctly New Testament focus. Now, the Old Testament has a lot to teach us. It sets the foundation for understanding the Old Testament, and, and the best way to read the Old Testament is with New Testament eyes. And we have to keep asking, how does the Old Testament point to Jesus? Today, I have ju I've just touched on five things. But I want you to know that there could be all kinds of things we could talk about. And I would be happy to, to sit down and personally talk to any one of you about a topic that you are wrestling with. I would love to do that. And I, I, I promise you I will respect your questions. I will honor your doubts. I will not pretend that I have all the answers because I don't. But I want to reassure you that there is no question that you have that other Christians have not already wrestled with. So, what are you going to say? When someone asks you about your faith, what you believe, and why, what are you going to say? Do you have an answer? Are you ready? How will you defend your faith Um, Jen earlier talked about we're going to have a blessed lunch next week. If you look on the banner down at the bottom, what's the last of the last five blessed practices is share your story. You've got a short story to share. Share your story. Just as Peter said, always be prepared to give an answer. To everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
but do this with gentleness and respect. Let's pray. Lord God, some of us today are filled with all kinds of doubts and questions that are really compromising our faith, and, and we don't feel like we know where to turn, and we're, we're not equipped to deal with it. And sometimes it can do some serious damage to our faith. So, Lord, give us courage to not be afraid of these doubts and questions, but to face them and, and, and to go deeper in exploring them. And, Lord, many of us feel lost and confused and afraid when we even think of the idea of sharing some, with somebody our faith, what we believe and why. So, Lord, give us wisdom and inspire us to do our homework, to be prepared. And Lord, in our conversations, give us an attitude of gentleness and respect, which is so lacking in the world today. Jesus, you are our Lord. We revere you in our hearts as Lord. And all God's people said, amen.